We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. I had the one and only Braxton Cook. Yo, Braxton and I, we had a really good time talking about his music, talking about his time with artists like Solange. Man, it was quite amazing just hearing about his journey through Juilliard, all the way to creating his own musical projects. He's got a brand new record coming out called No Doubt, and I know you guys are going to dig that one. And you're absolutely going to dig this interview because we got deep into who Braxton actually is as a human being. And we also dove deep into the complexities of his music and his sound. Braxton's music is unique because it combines the sounds of soul, jazz, R&B, and alternative music to create a brand new sound. One that is unparalleled, to say the least. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This time in our life so amazing Let's ride this wave out, oh baby You and me, lady oh. On today's episode of the Working Artist Project, I have the one and only Braxton Cook Hey man Welcome to the show, brother right, Thanks for having me So today we're going to talk about a few things I got, I got a list here I didn't share it with him, so he don't know what we're going to do <laughs> But I, I want to get into your music, mm. why you create it and why you're here in New York. I'm originally from Maryland. I grew up in Greenbelt, you know, in, in PG. And then, you know, I went to, went to high schools, did music and all that. My family, though, they're um, academics. You know, my, my parents went to Princeton. My dad is a law professor at Georgetown. And, like, very much wanted his kids to, like, pursue that, that route. You know, he wanted us to find our passions, of course. Um... But when it came time to like figure out where we're going to go to school, my older brother went to Georgetown. Uh, I got into Georgetown. My baby brother went to Georgetown. So my parents wanted me to go to Georgetown. <laughs> and that's that's what happened. I went to Georgetown University first. And I picked a major just off the random. I was undecided at first because I, I knew I wanted to do music, but they didn't offer like a performance degree. So I picked English with a concentration in African-American studies so I, so that maybe I could, you know, if I couldn't play music, let me at least understand the historical context through which, like, all this art that I love came from. So let me, you know, let me study that that route and give it, give it at least more meaning, right? So um, I gave that a good, good, fair try, you know, a couple of years of that, and I was playing in D.C. all the while, um, playing in places like, well, all these spots are gone, and it's tragic, like... Cafe Nima, Utopia, Bohemian Caverns. Um, I think Twins Jazz uh, is still there, but I play there. And uh, and then a bunch of jam sessions at HR 57 and all these spots that used to pop up on U Street. And that's where I really got a lot of my 
performing experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And two years into my studies at, at Georgetown, my old musician friends, uh, the one in particular, Josh Crumbly and Samora Pendehues, they they uh, gave me a call on my birthday, my sophomore year of college, and and they were at Juilliard. They played Happy Birthday for me. And they were telling me like how badly I need to like come to New York and like I need to transfer and like what am I doing? Right. I pr- previously I did like maybe this Young Arts or Grammy Band or something like that with with Josh. Um, and Luke Salenza was also on the phone, another friend of mine that did Grammy Band with me, and they were just like, "Bro, you need to come, you need to apply to transfer." And I think, it, uh, yeah, they were saying that the alto chair something must have happened. I think Eddie Barbash, like <laughs> I don't mean to out him, but that's my old, that's my homie. Apparently he had just like dropped out or left or was like okay. I'm done. Yeah. So, and the Anderson twins just graduated. So it was just a window where I remember, uh, you know, a lot of the really ridiculous alto players had just left, and uh, they were like, "Bro, you should audition." So I auditioned that year, 2011, and and that was the only school I applied to transfer to, and I got in. And I, I remember them actually like matching my scholarship because I had free tuition to Georgetown. It was par- partially, right, mostly why right, my right, parents yeah. were like, "This is why you're going." Yeah. Um, which totally makes sense because we no. were just talking about that before yeah, we got on sure. here, like, yeah. you know, figure out the hustle. And that was our, that was like our hustle. We were all going to go to school for free um, unless we found something better. But George, so Juilliard ended up matching that tuition benefits, covering everything. And I was like, all right, too many things had aligned here for me to pass up on this opportunity. It's what I wanted to do, you know, and I needed a reason to come to New York. And this was it. So, uh, yeah, I packed my bags. My boys, everyone on my floor was like, yo, you should totally do this. Because it was hard at that point. I had made friends at Georgetown. I had really good friends. I just went to, like, two of their weddings. Like, they're super, really good people. So, at at that point, it was still kind of tough to leave. But I knew it's what I needed to do. And then as soon as I got to New York, everything just started falling into place. Mm -hmm. I think my first year here, I met Christian Scott. And I started going on the road. And all this stuff started I don't mean to get ahead on the story, no, but no, man, that's, that's you know that's why I was here. I was it's here. your story, bro. I was here for uh, <laughs> I was here for opportunity, and and it was just one of those moments where I knew I had to jump after it, and everything started falling into place. You cool. know, yeah, it's funny how life works. Like, man, you know, once you change, like you're in a situation, right, mm-hmm. and things seem to be cool, right, and then you're like, man, actually, I want to try this, and then you try it, and then all of a sudden, all these opportunities just start coming your way. That's it. You know? I think when you st- yeah, when you start stepping in your purpose, mm-hmm. you know, you start really feeling like, well, look, this is what I want want to be doing. And I think about like, yeah, I could have finished at Georgetown, get a job, that'd be fine. You know, I was always good at just getting good grades. I could BS a paper. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, once like, what would I do? You know, if money didn't matter, and if it, you know, what would I do for free? It was to play music and specifically to play jazz. So. Yeah, I started following that, you know, that truth. And, yeah, things just started coming together. That's dope. So y'all hear that, man. So follow your dreams. That's real. Quit your job tomorrow. Do Walk you, in there. You put in that work. <laughs> put in that work for sure, you know. I put in the, I put in the 10,000 hours for sure. Yeah. And all that, what I thought was a setback by, like, uh, initially when I applied to music schools, I, I didn't get enough of a scholarship. You know, like, I, I think Howard might have given me a good, a great scholarship at some of the HBCDUs, uh, NC, was a uh, North Carolina Central as well, but, like, I'm just giving out everything. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, MSM, New School, like, to be honest, I don't, they didn't give me anything. Right, right. Even after Grammy Band, even after meeting all of those people in admissions, whatever, like, they were like, you know, I didn't get anything. So uh, what I th- initially thought was a setback by being, you know, still at home in D.C., um, turned out to be a, the biggest blessing because I ended up, like I said, getting so much performance experience at the age of six, 17, 18, 
you know, doing my own verse Braxton Cook quartet, whatever gigs. And like, wow, it seemed like, you know, it's not much. I remember like three people in the audience, but you know, you learn how to put a set together. You learn how to talk to people. You learn how to run the jam session. You start learning tunes. You're playing with, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but like I'm, I'm playing next to Chris Fun and Quincy Phillips and right, like Alan right. Johnson. And I'm a kid and they're, you know, teaching me all this stuff on the bandstand, you know, and letting me lead. So it's like, that stuff is intangible. And when I got finally got to school, I realized that ended up being an asset. You know, I I had been comfortable doing shows and, and knowing how to perform. And a lot of people's first experience doing that was a recital. Most people, you know, they, they finish music school and the first time they've announced, you know, what songs we're about to do is either a recital or a perform, you know, something like that. So I remember just feeling like, all right, cool. This makes sense to me. I've been doing this since I was 17. You know, so by the time I ended up graduating at like 23, I was like, let's let's do this like let's go you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure and so man we're gonna get right into the music because you know most people it seems in the music world they're very curious to know how you kind of came up with your i mm -hmm. idea of what jazz is today mm -hmm. you know what i mean you didn't just like you know what guys we're just gonna play some Tar charlie parker he's gonna play you know whatever we're gonna play some miles we're gonna play some Thelonious. but rather you took all of the music at least i'm this is what I think you did. You took mm -hmm. all the music that influenced you, mm -hmm. you know, jazz, soul, pop, alternative rock, all these different genres, and you mashed them together into your own genre, and you call that what? I don't know if I have a name for it. I don't know. <laughs> I've been thinking about a name, about, like, this idea of, like, a future soul or future jazz or whatever but in this but um people always say like to find your own sound you have to go back and i think there is some validity to that in that um like in understanding like the very like the very basics of the music you can really start to find something new you know because like you're already gonna have your own perspective because you're you're from your time you know you can't i don't know i don't know if i necessarily believe like oh he's ahead of his time or she's ahead of their time it's like no you're of your time but um, what most people just don't do is like to, is going back and just checking out, you know, at least on alto, the you know the Benny Carters and the the Charlie Parkers and the Johnny Hodges and like you know the, those kind of uh, your predecessors essentially. So I just I think about it as you you have to go back to find something new, and and then you have to in addition to that have to have to be uh, cognizant and pay attention to what's happening in your in your day and time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we lose that actually when we right. go to school. Right. It becomes museum music, yeah, and we're only looking back, right? And then no one is like, "Well, what's on the radio?" Right. You have to have both ears open mm -hmm. and and be honest with yourself. And 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 for me, my family was always that, like staying connected to my family. They are like my barometer for like whether I'm being real. If that makes you know what I mean, if that makes any sense, like they're like, "Man, where's the church in your music?" Right. You grew up in church. Yeah. This doesn't make you know what I mean, like. Yeah. And so some of, some of that kind of stuff, you know, having those conversations even creatively with my family, you know, and not just musicians, but like, you know, it's just you. Yeah. And that all, all of that stuff, you know, my family helped me want to incorporate singing and all of those other talents that I, cause they see you as your full self, as opposed to people that met you for a four year period that see this one skill, that see this one thing or this aspect of you, you know what I mean? A lot of the time, you know, your family can get a, a, a larger picture of, of mm -hmm. what's going on. Yeah. That's a good point, man, because like, you know, we, especially in the black community, we mm -hmm. can't forget where we came from musically. Like yeah. for me too, like I played music first in church. Yeah. And so like for me to play music in any situation with anyone and not draw from that is fraudulent. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, wait, I can't not 
play church. That's, that's all I know. That's what <laughs> I know. I know. You know, it's like I learned swing and all that stuff later. I learned this first from a baby. Exactly. And then I learned this other thing later on. Mm-hmm. And I need to put that later on stuff on top of the foundation, not the other way around. That's it. And, and you know, it's interesting in New York because you witness people who come from other cultures mm-hmm. and coming into what we call jazz. And they do that more yeah. effectively sometimes than we do. Like if they're from Israel, they put their music on top on of jazz. On top of jazz. Like, oh, yeah. OK, well, this would be hip if I, and you know, and it's, it's like totally immediately true. you hear them and you can hear the culture in their music. Totally. And, and uh, so it's dope that you have found a way to do the same thing. And, and maybe this is a good time for us to, to listen to one of your tracks. Yeah. thought man I, first of all i just want to say like you know i listened to the whole record and it sounds like you're just writing music for this woman man you know it's like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you, you know and so like this this song uh in particular it kind of it kind of hits that key and what was the inspiration for this one so yeah that song um as well as a lot of songs off off that record it's it's about my fiance it's about my my first like real partner. I met her during my time here in New York, and and we've been together through this whole this whole period. And it's for me, it's been just a, a we're growing up together, you know. And there's push and pull, and there's and there's just like this, you know, ebb and flow with with trying to find balance between work, school at the time, you know, and and a relationship. It's just it's all work and and. and it's all a good thing, but it's just like you know, you're you're growing and you're, you're getting old, and you're just learning how to time manage. It's a lot of it, and yeah, that song never thought was just like I me mean, looking back. I think on like three and a half years, like wow, mm-hmm. you know, this is amazing. Just never never thought we we'd be here, you know. Yeah, I like the song because to me, you found a way to make uh, museum music. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, some people think of jazz as like elevator music. Sure. Music. You found a way to bring it to the people. Were you thinking about that as you were creating your music? Like, you know what, man? I need to make this music for the people now, for my people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because a lot of times we play music and everyone in the audience is, you know, 68 and up. This is true. I, when I, I guess when I'm writing in general, um, that is something that crosses my mind. Like, yeah, what people like this. Once again, like my family like it. I'll send it to them. Um, but at this point, I think I try I try and tell a story, try and tell a narrative. I think that always connects with people. That was something I noticed um, with Christian on tour with him. Like, there were a lot of songs that connect that are, like, you know, powerfully and viscerally people, people love. But the songs people asked about the most 
was I think a tune named Isadora back in the day, mm-hmm. the ballad. And then KKPD about his, you know, time being pulled over by the police and like, you know, yep. and now obviously, yes, the compositions are beautiful and they totally make sense. However, I think there's something about the story and the narrative that just like the way he tells it, you know, I noticed that night after night for five years, like, yeah, there's something here. Like, you, right. and if you know, if our set gets cut short and we don't play KKPD, like people would just be up in arms. Like, man, what about that? They don't even know the name. Like, what about that one about the police? It's the story. Right. 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 And I was like, okay. I think there's there's something there, at least with our music, with instrumental music, there's something we can do with narrative, um, with the with the right song title, with you know, a simple story. And that song was just about a Saturday, but how how like just the beauty in like a simple Saturday morning with somebody and like how that could just connect. Right. You know. See that's something everybody can relate to. You know what I mean? I guess so, yeah. Everybody spent a Saturday morning with somebody. That's, you know? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and also, I mean, you, you, you just said something that made me think, because you said instrumental music, but your music isn't exactly instrumental music because you aren't here singing. Yeah, facts. You know? And it's funny, I listened to the record the first time, this, this is when it first came out, mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this is dope. And I was talking to two people, Matisse, who I didn't even realize was on the record. Oh, that's my bro. And I, and I was talking to uh, uh, Curtis. Okay, and yeah. So, and it was like, yeah, that's Braxton singing. And I was like, what? <laughs> So well, half the album that half the album is vocal and half is like instrumental. So right. I, I guess that's what I was speaking to. But yeah, okay. But yeah, go yeah go so, ahead. <laughs> look, so how did you get into? I'm assuming you got into singing in church. Yeah, in in singing in church, singing in choir, um, sing, singing in the house. Like my dad sings. All his sisters, you know, sing really well. Um, my uncle who's passed. You know, he played piano and sang, and, and on my mom's side and. It's just, it's in our culture, bro. Like, mm-hmm. shoot, I was just in church, and the dude singing next to me was ridiculous. It's just like, it's yeah, just, yeah. I don't know what it is, man. Like, you know, black folk, it just be happening, but people yeah. could just, just sing. Like, my brother, my little baby brother could really sing. That boy, my God. And he plays, like, baseball, like, you know. Right, right, right. I don't even think he's trying to go that route, but it's like, <laughs> sure. And then my other little brother, who's, like, MD in first Solange, oh, wow. you know, sings as well. It's, um, I don't know. It's just it seemed like a natural thing and it seemed like oh everybody can do it mm-hmm. everybody can speak so everybody can, you know so right. and it just started to happen naturally I get um, even my older instrumental projects like um, the one with, with Braxton Cook Meets Butcher Brown with that track Ooh on it like mm-hmm. that one had uh, had lyrics and I sang on that and then you know decided to just do an instrumental uh, but yeah like that's part of my writing process no matter what okay I'm always like yeah singing it or humming it or whatever and then I started trying to put words to it and then I kind of decide later on if that, you know, if the song speaks louder, you know, instrumentally, or if it speaks louder with the story. So okay, so it wasn't to get the girls, all right? So, oh yeah, no, nah, I mean, I already had, <laughs> I already had my, I already had my girl. Yeah, you're a better man than me because if I could sing, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
we we are, we are in the the in a very interesting era of politics, mm-hmm. and I think all of us in today's society, you, even you, have a song on, on your record mm-hmm. that was is relating to what's happening today to the, to the black man in America or to just black people in America. And we also have this thing with Nicholas Payton calling our music BAM, so right. like American music. Uh, as opposed to jazz mm-hmm. and it's interesting because most jazz musicians in the 60s seem to rebuke the name jazz and this thing this movement is coming back around and I'm just curious to know uh, how do you feel about the music being called BAM and how do you feel about your music or creating music to push uh, these social movements forward like Black Lives Matter I don't I don't really prescribe to the label Labels in general, I try not to. Mm-hmm. I really do. I really like. Uh, I guess the way you ask the question, uh, how do I feel about Bam? I mean, factually, I feel like that's that's real. Like, I do feel like the music we're making is actually Black American music, and it's something that needs to be said. Um, as far as uh, rebuking jazz, uh, I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like that particular thing is not like why. I'm, that's not uh, like my cross. I'm I'm trying to that particular thing is not my cross. I'm trying to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I asked about it, yeah, like I do feel like this is this is Black American music. If people like that needs to be known. Um, as far as like writing music that's about incorporating stories from our perspective and stories about uh, Black lives and story about you know uh, police brutality and things that are happening in, in our communities. I think that's a vital part of, of of the art form and a vital part of being, you know, human and being an artist is sharing narrative and sharing your story and and um, I mean all the all the people I looked up to John Coltrane all these artists you know Miles they they they, they were it wasn't just about the music it wasn't just about the notes it was about you know like what is this for and like who you know my bringing peace and and love to to other people and my bringing you know, my informing people about what's happening in these communities and stuff like that. I think that's that's very important. Christian was, a, you know, it's another artist that does that, and and being under that tutelage and torn in his group is just it, it's going to naturally have an effect. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, all right, this has to be beyond whatever we're playing at this moment. You know, right. what are we saying? Because right. um, life is just it's entirely too short to yeah, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. to just be thinking about yourself. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very powerful thing, music, and then being on the stage and performing for people is just like you know you don't know whose life you could change in that moment. Because mine was changed, and you know, right. very you know very young, seeing somebody you know someone do what I love to do, and then saying something very real. So I just feel like it's a very powerful thing and a very powerful tool, and we should use it wisely. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I'm with you. Like you know, the, we I think we have a responsibility as artists to. Uh, deliver a message in a way that people can hear it, you know? Mm-hmm. Cuz maybe they can't hear the message coming from the people with, from the Black Lives Matter movement, but right. we can play the music in such a way that it can affect them emotionally, even if they disagree with what we're saying. Yeah. And then they they can feel through the logic if that makes sense. You know Definitely. I, mean? I think um and it's different for everyone, you know? Like I don't think everyone is necessarily uh, the most equipped person to articulate those ideas with their words. I don't think right. everybody needs to 
stand up and have a speech or have a pocket. Not you know, not everybody. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you got Kanye's out here. It's just like, bro, please stop talking. <laughs> you know, you're doing more harm than you are doing good. But exactly, I do yeah. feel like, um, yeah, I, I guess I agree. Like there is a there is a responsibility. However, it's you know, it's like it's it, it's different through which medium everyone needs to need to mm-hmm. utilize that. You know, I think there's certain people that definitely should be the spokespeople, you know, because they can articulate multiple different perspectives in a very clear and concise way and do a lot of good. And those artists, I think, need to step up and do more. Mm-hmm. And there's some that's just like, all right, let the music speak for itself um, and let let the energy and the love that's being transmitted musically through your art connect with people and get people going, you know, but not every, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. And I, I don't think everybody needs to necessarily be the spokesperson with their words or like you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah, yeah. certain people should and then certain people just like you know i think you make great music or you do this and just keep and, making music. And, yeah and it's inspiring people in a in a very powerful way i love that like donald glover didn't feel the need to necessarily try and break down his video yeah he spoke for himself he made some art it's yeah. particularly yeah particularly if you think like what you have to say might detract from the overall positive that's coming from what you're trying to do right some, you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're gifted in this way for a reason, so maybe right. just use that gift. Right. But there are some people that are gifted in multiple different ways, and like those people I think are great. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So some of y'all need to shut down. Sorry, you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> it's just something I've been like, thinking about. It's just something I've been thinking yeah. about because it's yeah. true. It's like, you know, but it had con- I don't know. Had John Coltrane tried to articulate? He seemed like a very shy dude in, mm-hmm. in a lot of interviews, and, and right. even though he has something very, very powerful to say, he may not have been the most articulate i don't know because we don't we don't know we don't know but he wrote alabama you know? exactly and yeah. what that did for me and what that did for so many people is like oh my god right. you know right so i think it's super powerful yeah tell me i want to switch gears sure and <laughs> you you have played with uh some of the who's who of everybody in the world like like crossing genres and one of those people is Solange who you missing who you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. I didn't know your brother was an MD so you had the inside hook on that oh yeah for sure and so you were <laughs> you were hooking up the, yeah, horn, the sections horn section yeah for, for sure. Solange right so how did that whole situation come about and what was it like to work with her it, it all started uh, I got a, I think an email right before her gig at the Guggenheim mm-hmm. I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago but it was a uh, that she she wanted like a, a school like a bunch of young horn players like from what I heard it was like you know marching band size and then it, that started as the stipulations from yeah from the Guggenheim they were like yeah we can't even have this many people in here blah blah, blah. you know she has a lot of just amazing ideas excuse me and uh, it turned into all right how about like twenty okay. I was like yeah. all right I think I could do that yeah. and then it was like all right do you know like like about 20, you know, African-American black kids mm-hmm. that play. And I was like, actually, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, of course. So I started, um, yeah, I just started like hitting up my friends and seeing their availability. Um, this is probably my little brother, honestly, who's helped okay. set this up. He, mm-hmm. he he didn't know, you know, the horn players either. So, I, you know, I just started contracting everybody and, and, and looped them in on email. And then from there, it just turned into like this longer Solange tour, you know, where we ended up like Fly Festival, Afropunk. One of my parent panorama, uh, made in America. Then the two shows at Radio City, it turned into like that whole kind of summer. Wow, um, which was really, really, really cool. That's dope, man. People may not know this, but like when you play music, you you do a one day you could be playing in a restaurant, which we've all done. Yeah, it's just the way it goes. And then the next day you can be playing for twenty thousand people. Right, and so like 
and, and I'm just thinking playing for Solange, you must be playing for really large audiences. And yeah, like, what's huge. What's the difference? Like, what do you, how, how, how is it different from playing? Man, like, even like when I just, I just played Coachella with uh, Tom Mish. Mm-hmm. And it was a similar experience like Made in America or, or, uh, or um, like Coachella. It was like the, the amount of people, it's like a, it's an energy you know what I'm saying? Like, come, like mostly, you know, most times you play in jazz, you know, it's a very subdued crowd, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pretty chill. And when they're lit, it's dope, right, right. you know? Um, however, like that many thousands of people, it like literally had like my hands shaking of just adrenaline, just from the transfer of like whatever was, you know, the screaming and, and, and whatnot. It's a huge reduction. So for me, like, I don't know if everyone's experienced that, but I literally, I would feel like, you know, I just had a bunch of coffee or something. Yeah. It was wow. just like this rush. Just, ah, yeah, it was like, yeah, people screaming, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. you just can't hear nothing. And it's just like, uh, it's an, yeah, it's intense. Yeah. And I thought it was super, super, super dope. Songs was great, you know? And then I ended up con- uh, contracting for, uh, Rihanna also wanted all all black musicians for the VMAs. Oh, wow. Nice. For her performance. And yeah, it was just like, yeah, I know all these people for sure, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, uh, but it was it was deep that like these contractors don't know black musicians right like the hired people that are like working at mtv they're like i don't i don't uh i don't know they know me they know me and like davis or someone else and (laughs) and they're like uh we need about 20 others i'm like "Uh, okay yeah yeah you're right right write me a check you know what i'm saying (laughs) it's deep it's deep man it's not a lot of us it's it's a reminder it's not Mm. not a lot of us yeah yeah which is kind of crazy that was my experience even in school a little bit i'm just like wow it's not enough. Well, I think what happens in music in school, I'm good because I want to talk about school because mm-hmm. I have my own emotional feelings about yeah. uh, music education, but what I think there's a financial barrier that happens Definitely. Uh, in schools because we know that there's a lot of really talented black kids playing music, mostly mm-hmm. in church these days. Yeah. But to learn jazz in particular, you got to go to jazz camps and this and that, and that costs money. Definitely. You know? And I know for me, I only went to one jazz camp my entire life mm-hmm. and I didn't have to pay and I begged to go. Yeah. <laughs> like I begged the people, please let me go here. I don't have no money. But but there's so many kids who get looked over because they don't have the money or they don't they don't know the right people to get them into the right situation for the education. That's it. I mean, that's it. That's like it's it's tough, man, cuz I feel like class is a deep thing and there's like such there's just access and access to, to resources and information really. You know, it's like just like you said. You know, growing up with my my family in the middle class in in Maryland, and it was just like you know, we had access to certain things, and we, I knew about certain things. Right. And it's just so many more tears that I just you know like, and then there are people that that knew about Jack and Jill that I didn't even know about you know yeah. until like college, and I was like, what is this Jack and Jill thing? And it mm-hmm. turned out to be you know almost like a fraternity of like successful whatever you know, mm-hmm. like African American people. And families that stay together that help each other get into this and do you know what I mean? I was like oh I didn't even you know what I mean but it's right. like all these levels to these things exactly yeah. um, that you just don't have so like people you know in my neighborhood that probably knew nothing about a saxophone or like where you go to get lessons and where you know what I'm saying right and right. it's those pivotal years between like twelve and fifteen of like am I gonna stick with sports because like we like yeah, like my family had all we're all four boys it was like yeah. we all played basketball we all sang a little bit all did like, piano lessons but our parents were like. Put, put us in a situation where they could pay for these lessons, mm-hmm. almost like investments on each one of us to see which one sticks. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And that cut takes money. Yeah, for sure. 
and and the wherewithal and information on our parents' side to be to be there and get us to these lessons. You know what I mean? It's like I know it's hard. Yeah. My little brother did baseball, and it was like, yeah, you don't see a lot of brothers doing that either, and yeah. it costs so much to get started. A base, you know. Yeah. I get why it's like get a ba- basketball is like let me get some shoes and a basketball. Yeah, let's go. But baseball right. is like three hundred dollar bat, three hundred dollar like gloves, and like, then they're vibing you if you don't have the right like yeah. oh you don't have the Mizu whatever right, right, right. leather joint you know so it's just like yeah, yeah the elitism is built into all this stuff. Just going forward, what's next for you? I know you got a new record coming out, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I want to give an opportunity to talk about that. It's Definitely. called No Doubt. It's called right? No Doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. I'm excited about this one, bro. So this is a. Uh, um, I can't even act like it's been a long time coming. It's been a year. So, yeah, so I got, I, I don't know, I got new music. I'm just always writing music, bro. Right, right. I got like 30 songs or whatever. I I was, you know, I wrote this past year and then just trying to go through and pick the ones I really like. And um, this one just started shaping up to be the next step in, in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the, this music is cathartic for me. I'm not trying to create a new persona. I'm trying to just tell my own story you know, through music. And uh, Somewhere in Between was, like, about, you know, me trying to figure out, is it, like, these, these I guess it's next steps, really. Um, I'm, I'm leaving school. I'm winding, winding out, you know, kind of leaving Christian's group. And, okay. and, uh, and the next steps in my relationship, it was kind of a, I don't know, kind of, leap of faith almost just like you know like it was before going to to music school now now stepping into i guess adulthood or professional life after after school was just kind of a in that period you know while in school it was kind of that transition and it was an interesting interesting time emotionally for me you know it was a lot of ups and downs and and push and pull and that's like what summer team in between is definitely trying to trying to capture and this project no doubt is a little more um, you know, now a few years out of school, with like a little bit more uh, solidified. So I, I just got engaged. You know, me and my girl, we're about to get married. Congrats, man. Thank Congrats. you, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, just everything is becoming a little more fortified and more clear. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for my 22, 23 year old self, it's just like you know, I don't know. Everything is just making more sense of that. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. We got. We have uh, there's there's we got management we got like a real team together bro like I'm right, super right. excited about that just all grew and happened organically. My manager's from like my area, you know he's from Virginia, which is dope. Like uh, the DMV area, like, we right. claim that whole tri-state thing. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. and it's it's uh it's great because it's like we get each other, you know what I'm saying? Right. And he right. went to high school with Corey Fonville. Oh yeah, so he Perfect. went to that school, and it's just like you know what I mean. He's been a homie for the longest, um, and. You know, we solidify some like booking agents and like real tours. We're going to Europe this year, bro. We're gonna do wow. like ten nice. days nice. Um, to support the project. We've been opening for Tom Mish oh, uh, wow, at wow. Terminal Five yeah. oh, in November. Yeah. It's gonna be lit, bro. So wow. I'm just like, you know, what I'm saying like everything's coming together, bro. And and uh, t- two years ago, where I was mostly dependent on touring in other people's bands, and that was like, well, sure hope this tour comes through. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. Um, it's just not the same thing anymore i'm creating my own schedule Mm -hmm. i get to talk to my agent or manager about like what are we doing like you know what i'm saying like what's coming like it's it's a it's a way different dynamic yeah of feeling like i'm creating my own opportunity as opposed to i'm waiting for opportunity to knock if that makes sense for sure and then when things obviously come in it's great but as far as like uh my sense of i don't know just the stress and the ease of everything it's just way different okay 
Yeah. It, I can't explain it. Oh, man. It it's makes a, it's, sense. Yeah, it's just been a shift in, like, knowing what's coming next. Everything mm-hmm. just makes more sense. And th- at this point in your life, mm-hmm. how do you define success? I guess it's, it started changing as I started achieving my goals. You know what I mean? I, I initially thought it was just, like, to tour around the world with, with an artist and play and, and do that. And that was yeah. great. And then it started, you know. And then honestly, like, then you get in a relationship with a with an amazing woman, <laughs> and it's just like, yo, there could be so much more—not yeah. things, right. but uh, but but um, so much more. I guess in like resources, and I and I resources that I I really value now is is time mm-hmm. and the ability to say no to things mm-hmm. so that I can have time, and creating enough uh, active and passive. You know, income, income and, and cash flows to the point where there's a, a nice ebb and flow with my particular, you know, uh, relationship and a nice ebb and flow with my particular, like how I like to work and how I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I need balance. I, pers- I personally do. Some people love to live on the road and just be at it all the time, be out all yeah. the time. That's right. cool. Right. If that's how, how you flow, then like, then do that. But for me, I need the balance. I need a little bit of both. And I found someone that that gets that, and then we're just working to to create that and nice. maintain it. Nice, yeah. So to answer your question, it's like it's balance. It's it's working, while also chilling, right? Writing, creating, but all about balance. I'm, I'm like you, man. I don't want to be like I don't I don't I don't want to be out here when I'm 65 ha- and have to go on the road. Yeah, no. Nah. Because even now, man, I'm I'm 33. The road beats me up, man. It's like, damn, yeah. man, fuck, shit. I get yes, home, bro. like, tired. <laughs> it's real, man. The travel, like, airports yeah. are horrible. Bro. God. I came off this last tour, and I literally got in front of my door and set my suitcase down and just took a deep breath and was like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love my job, but shit, man. Yeah, the travel is the hardest shit. Yeah. And it's like. It really starts to change what's happy, what what you consider happiness, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and just to be real, like seeing what you thought was happy and seeing uh, just like the darker sides of the music business too, right, yeah. you know. Not that it necessarily makes you jaded, but it's just like it disillusions this idea that like oh everything is glitz and glamour. It's not. It's right. like most of these people I know are going through some crazy yeah. stuff, you know, per, either personally or it's just like some crazy stuff's happening on the road or just whatever. It's like, dang, I kind of want balance, you know? Like, so I started kind of switching my values. I'm like, look, specifically like, all right, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I want family, I want the kids. So who's doing this right? I'm like, all right, Jason Moran seems to be doing this. Got on a nice track. Like, oh, okay, artist, artist director, uh, can you say, you know what I'm saying? Like, I start, right, right. start taking notes, just like I did when I was 17. I was like, all right, how did he get into Juilliard? Oh, he did Grammy Band. He did Young Arts. Oh, he did Allstate. All right, let me start checking off the checklist and that, you know, this mental checklist kind of thing. And it's a similar kind of thing now. It's just the, the rubric is different. It's not so much all right, who's out on the road doing all this crazy stuff? Like, I, you know, like, sure. Like, I wanted to do that when I was 20. That's great, you know? Of course. Um, yeah, my first tour, I was 20, and I was single. And I was like, yeah, it was. that's awesome. Eventually, the rubric changes, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, so who's got the family? Who's got this? Who's, you know? And, like, how do I figure that out when I know those are the things that make me happy? Right, of course. So... You have to, I've learned in my, in my life that if you want to attain success in a certain way, you have to find people and then become those people. And to become those people, if you want to be Barack Obama, 
then you need to model yourself after Barack Obama. Yeah. Know? Shit, what did Barack Obama eat every morning? Okay, I'm going to start there. <laughs> you know, what books did he read? Damn, read those books. You know, like who, who did he hang out with? I want to hang out with those types. I was of always that kid, man. Yeah, because then all of a sudden you get into a pattern because mm-hmm. it works the other way too. If you're hanging out with kids who smoke weed all day and watch cartoons, all of a sudden you're going to be smoking weed all day and watching cartoons. <laughs> like, so. Bro, we are, we eat and we are, we like watch and see yeah. and process. That's it. So, so you gotta, you gotta constantly be aware of that. And that's a lesson for all of us too. Yeah. We still learning it, but I'm just, you know, it's something I'm, I'm realizing, Oh yeah. I might want different things. Yeah. And you have to check in with yourself. Mm-hmm. Are my actions changing my out, the outcomes? Exactly. Oh, my actions are the same. The outcomes tend to be the same. Like you have to really change what it is you're doing. And right. I did. I stopped going out. I don't hang out as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm more selective about when I do go out. And I use my time to create something. Because when you create something new and fresh, like you start putting that in the world and starts creating opportunities for yourself. 100%. Not even necessarily like shedding is awesome, but it's also like the difference in 2018, the difference between shedding and throwing, hitting the record button and posting that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Because I just sudden, created something that somebody else can digest. And, exactly. and now it's like, I'm not the consumer on social media, but I'm more so like the right. person that y'all are. You know what I'm saying? And and I, and I don't have to give my t- that much time. or any, I'm already doing it. So it's stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, man. It's funny because now the internet and social media is so powerful for us. Definitely. Because it's cheap. <laughs> it's free. You just yeah. hit record. All of a sudden however many followers you have they mm-hmm. can check you out like a thousand people in a matter of a second can look at whatever you're doing you're like yo that's dope let me you know let me go download his record let me go do this or let me call him or let me mm-hmm. like, oh that's that's right i got this gig I, man that's I got, it yeah and all of a sudden it used to be that we had to go out the smalls or whatever and just make right. sure people know you're in town or whatever yeah. and now it's like mm-hmm. you can kind of check in yeah I, I, before we go I, I got a couple more questions in sure there. But I got one question just from listeners, and they want to know who your major influences are. Oh, yeah. I got a bunch. Okay. So, um, I guess particularly on the saxophone, it's like, man, I love Cannonball Adderley, bro. You know, I got his transcription book right here. I'm resting the microphone on it. Like, um, I love, like, man, Kenny Garrett, huge influence, bro. Like, uh, who else? Uh, I mean, Charlie Parker, Johnny Hodges. Honestly, like, I like <laughs> like Lee Konitz. I know people are like, uh, but I do. Like, Lee is cool. I like how airy, bro. I like I like that tone, bro. Always yeah, did. Yeah. Um, yeah, bro, I like them sensitive kind of, kind of like that. I like that, too. I like the blend of the both. Like, I like Johnny Hodges. I like, uh, yeah, Benny Carter. Um God, it's like who who don't I like? <laughs> Honestly, but what, what about but, outside of jazz? Yeah, and then outside of jazz, um, like, bro, I love R and B. I love soul music. I love everybody on this wall. These records on the wall. So I love yeah, Nat King Cole, Fire, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah, a lot. I love Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye is incredible. I like his tone of voice. I like um, uh, that falsetto, bro. I love that. Yeah, like tenors, bro. I don't know why. Prince mm-hmm. and and uh, modern artists. Uh, I love like Miguel, Frank Ocean, Gambino, Solange. It's crazy because I'm starting to like work with these people, and that's what's getting wild. 
uh, Emily King's a huge influence. Mm. I love nostalgic sounding music. So I love. Uh, oh, it's oh, it's all good. Oh, sorry. yeah, I love. Uh, um, dang, yeah, I gotta go back to that. It was Emily King's music, like when I heard Seven, in particular that song Georgia, had a, just a profound impact on me. Cool. So, you know, I, I ask everybody this question mm-hmm. who comes on the uh, the podcast, and the question is, what are the three things that you're most thankful for? Oh man, I'm thankful. I'm obviously thankful for my family, for music, because I feel I don't take that gift for, for granted. It's um, um, dang, I wanna I wanna compound like my girl is family too. Yeah, that's family. Um, and I guess I'm thankful for um. I'm thankful for like, like my friends, like, like honestly, like to find, it's been something I've, I've still struggle with this having, so I, I, guess I didn't say this in the beginning, but having moved so many times, like mm-hmm. from uh, Boston to PG to then Silver Spring to Atlanta and in DeKalb, then to Fulton County DeKalb, then back to Maryland, then DC, then New York. It's been a good, like only three, four years in the same place. And this is the longest I've been in one place in New York now. So it's, um, for me, yeah, like finding lasting friendships has been a new thing and and uh i don't know this past few years watching my, my good friends i guess from georgetown and and julia are going and do the thing and for us to stay connected and see people get married and stay a part of their lives has been like a it's been a lot and and it's just something i guess i don't, don't want to take for granted mm-hmm. something i have to honestly like, i gotta like check in on myself and make sure like all right am i hitting these people back because it's not something that i've ingrained in myself having to start over so many times right right i become very like let me just stay in the crib with me you know what i mean that's it's been built in yeah. also probably just me being a middle kid and i'm just off to myself all the time uh something i have to work on but it's some of i really value i need to appreciate more but i'm very thankful mm-hmm. for that before we go i do want to give you another opportunity to plug everything that you got going on oh yeah cd and anything else you want people to check out for sure and uh, let them know where to go and how to connect with you okay so we are somewhere in between remixes and outtakes it's out now on spotify apple music you can stream it or you can get it on itunes and then we have a new project no doubt coming out this fall we'll have a tour uh, starting november 1st at terminal 5 and then we're going to europe uh, through november 10th but be sure to get tickets and uh, look out for new singles and new music coming out soon. Eddie, you got a website? Got a website, braxtoncook.com. So there it is, man. Y'all check out Braxton Cook at braxtoncook.com. Mm-hmm. And hey, man, thanks for coming on Working Arts Project. Of course, bro. Yeah, bro. Later, y'all. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button. Also, don't forget to leave us a review. The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Check us out at secondlinearts.org. I'm Darian Douglas, and this is The Working Artist Project. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. Uh, airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. 
But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. Uh, airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com.